0: Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my chocolate factory.
1: And I should warn you that one of us always tells the truth, and one of us always lies. No running in the hallway.
2: I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Hello and welcome to Fans Labyrinth. Podcast where we talk about your favorite indie movies and genre flicks. My name is Joseph, and these are my co hosts.
1: Lydia. Oh,
2: well, yeah.
1: You did (laughs) it different.
2: Yeah, I know. I know. Welcome
1: to our guest.
2: (laughs) Say hi, guest. Oh, my
1: God. (laughs) You're welcome to use a fake name (laughs) if you want. I'm just giving up on anonymity at this point. I love that. That's a way to introduce it. That's good. My name is Des,
0: like Destiny's Child.
1: All single ladies.
0: Thank you. Aw.
2: By tradition, we don't mention anything about what we actually watched or going to talk about and just go straight into. We
1: do often forget to mention the title of the movie until about 45 <laughs> minutes in. Um, but it's fine because it's in the title of the episode. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Is that... So what did you guys think of the Aladdin uh, it's like Is that coming out? Is that, that a Out already.
1: It. Will Smith was the it genie. Was...
0: A non-event. I
2: yeah. oh the oh way back when. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot. I thought it was like recent. What's the next one coming out? <laughs> next Disney live action. I don't fucking yeah. know. Jungle Book. They all no.
1: suck. Uh, Mulan was like steeped in controversy. Jungle Book already yeah. happened.
2: Yeah, it's the one after Mulan. Great. I'm thinking of.
1: Lion King.
0: Yeah, they're gonna redo the one where the where the fox is uh, is like a furry. He's like anthropomorphic. Oh. <laughs> Robin Hood. Maybe.
1: Oh yeah, that is the one where the fox is anthropomorphic.
0: I'm just spitballing here. I don't actually know. <laughs> oh, okay.
1: <clears throat> Fair enough. <laughs> All right. So who's who's been watching stuff?
0: I was just gonna
2: well. Okay.
1: Well, go ahead.
2: <laughs> I was yeah, I moved into my new place in I don't Ooh. I still never know whether we should, yeah, talk about which but mine's a big city, it's fine. But I moved into Ottawa.
1: I hope you get yes. a stalker uh, now. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. The, yeah, I don't care. You know
2: what? Because I, I, w- I was thinking about it. Like, in a lot of the podcasts I listen to, like, I know a lot about the the co-host's, the co-host's lives. Like I know where they live. I know what they're doing. It's mm-hmm. not a brag. Their lives,
0: you know? What's your birthday? What's your mother's maiden name? Yeah.
2: I know, you know, <laughs> their signs, their blood type, all the normal stuff, you know? Yeah.
1: All the not weird, creepy things. Mm-hmm.
2: All right. I'll, I'll start with a bullshit one, but I like a while back now, but I finished season five of Rick and Morty that just came out mm-hmm. and it wasn't it was a non-event. Like <laughs> Rick and Morty had like interesting seasons that go up and down. This one I just felt was like an unoriginal continue continuation of the he, BS they did. Like each episode was good, but it was like there's no drive or reason like behind the season.
1: I gotta be honest. Like the like Diehard rabid fans of that show are so fucking insufferable that it like yeah, ruined yeah, yeah. the watching experience of that. I had to stop mm-hmm. watching it. There's only so many times I can hear somebody shout Pickle Rick and think it's like the oh. coolest thing ever before I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to punch you in the throat, you man sized 13 year old boy.
0: Uh, my shameful admission is I don't think I've ever watched Rick and Morty uh, aside from like the.
1: It's not shameful anymore. Oh, uh, fair. <laughs>
0: Uh, I've 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 had it uh, I've had it pushed on me like via like oh check out this YouTube clip like some, one of my friends crying like you you have to you don't get it you just it'll it'll click I don't care that's thing I hate I just I just can't
1: you, you criticize that show in any way and those like really rabid fans are oh, always yeah. like you're just not smart enough to understand it and I'm like. <laughs> Bruh, this show is not created by fucking rocket scientists. A 13-year-old boy can understand the conceptual science they're talking about in this animated children's fucking television show. <laughs> Calm down, P-Brain. It ain't that deep. I, I like.
2: I enjoyed the first few seasons. The Yeah, I agree the fans are annoying, but it is what it is. My position is just that, yeah, like, by the fifth season, I think, like, they're into a groove now. They can continue going, and people still watch it for, like, you know, 10 more seasons or whatever. But it's, like,
1: hmm. it's I think it's really
2: played out its, yeah. its trendy power or whatever, you know.
0: Yeah. It's probably hit I its stride like, at I feel
1: like Adventure Time went through the same thing, where it was, like, it was very kitschy yeah. and niche oh, and everybody yeah. loved it, and it was doing something, like, super different, and then it hit, like, whatever whatever yeah. it was, like, the fourth season, and you're like, this is just... We're just doing the same thing now. We're retreading.
0: And with, uh, with shows like that, too, like, once the formula is encapsulated and repeatable like you just know that the next major animated series is going to like bounce mm-hmm. off that you know what i mean like it's going to know what to what points to hit how to how to get into people's uh vernacular quicker well, and, and then just like have that's how we spin. went from
1: the simpsons yeah, just, like, to family guy to american dad and we had the south park coming in on the side for the more like outrageous stuff and it's like but it's ostensibly yeah. all very very similar it all follows the same pattern and formula
0: and the cycle's faster.
2: The, my roommates and I just started one that just came out on Netflix called Centaur World, which is like in the same vein as these. Mm. It looked very much like uh, Disenchantment, and I, which I did not like yeah, I didn't after love the that. first couple. Yeah, so I was like, I was really skeptical of it, but the reviews were stellar, like day one. So I was like, mm. we should give it a shot, and they wanted to give it a shot too. So we did, and it was like really fun. It really gives that like magic of original Adventure Time, like it has a thing it's trying to do and it's not quite the same as any previous show interesting characters but total totally wacky satirical adventures
0: uh, i feel like i'm not giving too much way by saying i actually know someone who's working on that show so oh, i've cool. seen a little bit of it and uh yeah they really seem to be doing something that no one has really like built out of like it
2: you can definitely it, see influences but it's not quite the same as anything else
0: Yeah, like it doesn't, it doesn't lean to like the BoJack stuff. It doesn't lean too hard into like the Rick and Morty stuff. It's really got its own identity.
2: Yeah. How about you, Des? Any, anything of note recently?
0: Uh, Centaur World uh, is one of them. Yeah, I've been checking that one out. There you go. Uh, It's really funny. And I was, I'm not someone who's like, I'm too old for like cartoons. But uh, the tone of it at first, I was like, this is going to be like maybe a bit too childish. It's not. No, it's, it's good. It's an all age romp. Maybe a bit more mature. Other than that, though, I've been watching just reruns of classics. I rewatched Blade Runner again three times. The original? <laughs> uh I yeah, the original. I wanted to I, I had an argument with someone. I wanted to figure out what cut was best for me. Okay. Yeah, because like I I I appreciate the and this is, you know, no one's ever watched Blade Runner. <laughs> um mm-hmm. I, I I really like the unicorn stuff. I know some people hate that. I really like the ending where uh Rachel and Deckard get to drive away into the sunset. Mm-hmm. And no cut does all uh, does everything I like right. best. So I'm trying to figure out what my cut would look like.
2: Yeah, I I agree. actually there's like there's a level of convolution, like we understand. I'm mm-hmm. not sure which cuts it's in exactly, but we understand with the like the the light behind the eyes things that <laughs> it's almost for sure that yeah. Deckard's uh, yeah, spoiler 80 alert, something but is a spoiler replica. alert yeah.
1: for this movie that came out in the '80s. Mm. <laughs> that he's
2: that he's not, but um. I, you know, it's one of my favorite sci-fi movies of all time. And I have watched it a bunch of times at this point, and I'm not sure exactly what I want to say because in in many ways, I don't like the actual main story of it. It's it's a lot about loving the atmosphere, the world, and certain moments a lot. But the actual like him hunting down each of the characters and doing the like zoom in enhance type stuff, uh, and like yeah. interviewing or like like
1: it's like a it's a detective.
2: You know, it's a detective, um, adventure story. Westerny,
1: it's a a neon noir, really. Like that's what I would consider it a neon noir.
2: A lot of that aspects of it, I don't. But but he Mm -hmm. plays the character in a way that I find palatable. Like I actually find him very charming. (laughs) Harrison Ford in it, and yeah,
1: he just he comes off very much like a regular dude. Yeah, like this is a guy that your dad would have been friends with when they were both (laughs) in like their thirties. Yes,
2: and the world. My God, that world, like the the shots right at the beginning of Cameron, like right down into it. And he's at the noodle shop. It's the rain and the like feeling of being in that cyberpunk thing is perfect.
1: I think that's the one thing I do really appreciate about Blade Runner. It's not one of my favorite movies. I won't pretend otherwise. But what I do appreciate is the world itself, because it gives like it's it's the best example of that dystopian sort of near future sci-fi and you see it's everywhere now everyone it's like our future is always a desolate dystopia it's always fucked yeah and blade runner it was was, probably
0: the clearest view of it and it
1: was it was the most interesting it's like yes clearly we're like going through the second industrial era and like everything's kind of disgusting and fucked up and everyone is poor but it looks cool and like this like excess and almost gluttonous need for technology that feels kind of like really rooted in where we're at now it's it's kind
0: of timeless that way yeah and the
2: capital like the fact that the technology in there is not used for the good of mankind per se even though it Hmm. in a way is benefiting them like you find that the replicants are kind of um, slave work labor workers on like mars and other planets but it's really showing you that for most people's lives, this is no help at all.
1: Um, <laughs> okay, this is a very moderate segue, and I apologize. We can get back to talking about Blade Runner. But did you guys see the like video interview of Elon Musk talking about his new androids and sounding like a... Weird fucking super villain oh, no. about it. He's 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 showing like a picture of the of the android. They look super, you know, human in shape, but they're like all white and black, like very monochrome. They don't have facial features, whatever. But but he's talking about them, and he's like, "Yeah, we made them specifically so that like it would be really easy for humans to like outrun them and probably overpower oh, them." And then he starts giggling, and I'm like, "Okay, hold on." first, probably overpower them, is not a flex. Second, do not laugh after saying, just in case the robot uprising occurs, you can probably take one android on. I, I tr- in what? A fist fight?
0: I, uh, uh, hopefully in tic-tac-toe. I I try not to pay attention to that guy, because he, he gives me the bad vibes, but that's... oh
1: No, he's very much, like, well on his way to, like... Lex oh, yeah. Luthor levels. Yeah, like that's, that's <laughs> the vibe.
2: Yeah. Yeah. 2049, Oh. Though. I don't know. Not, not as much of a fan.
0: I, I like it. I think it's, I think it's, a, it's a fitting sequel. And this kind of goes to what I was uh, going to finish on with Blade Runner, but I think um, uh, the reason I was so focused on cuts is because... The only difference major major difference between the original cuts was more or less the ambiguity around the ending of like whether or not Deckard is a replicant or whether or not it even mattered. Twenty uh twenty forty seven? Twenty forty nine doesn't even touch the question. It it tells its own story without having to lean too hard on Deckard for anything. Um and that's what I appreciate so much about it.
2: Mm-hmm. But the main character goes through a similar journey and yeah. finds out that he is a And his is
0: conclusive. His his there's no ambiguity that's um yeah yeah cut and dry but but yeah that's that's no. all i've been watching
1: i'm i'm kind of bored of like aging harrison ford coming back <laughs> in his like original <laughs> roles yeah. it's like it's really showing the limited hey, range of
0: harrison he, ford he as an actor him. he's getting old
1: <laughs> which you know what fair enough i respect it but i just don't want to watch a 75 year old man struggle to do his own no. stunts in like hyper popular movies related to (laughs) our youth it's just it's kind of a fucking bummer i had
0: i had the same fallout with like star trek picard watching a very obvious body double swap in for when he has to go downstairs Mm.
1: (laughs) yeah that sucks man that's a bummer i don't really want to be confronted with like the frailty of my childhood heroes no
0: i sir patrick stewart is is immortal and I refuse to imagine him. Yeah, he
1: needs to live forever. I, I refuse
0: to imagine him struggling with, with stairs. Um, <laughs> no. uh, but that,
1: that man turned 60 when he was like 38. Oh, yeah. And then has just <laughs> never aged beyond that.
2: <laughs> I, yeah. It, it's just an honest thing with me. Like Picard really is like, and it's like not the, the new show, but the, the, the original man. character uh, and Patrick Stewart's portrayal of him is just such an inspiration to me. And my whole life, Like he's actually like one of my idols more to be fair more the character but he plays like a very similar character as dr x so it's just oh, like
0: yeah professor x
2: um,
1: professor yeah. it's x. just
0: like yeah i uh so, i think that's why we get along he was
1: never a doctor
0: doctors <laughs> are professors
1: no i don't think he was ever actually a professor He just opened that school and left his education (laughs) at Oxford to open that fucking school in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I don't think he ever got his doctorate. If you own
0: a school, I think you can just name yourself Professor. I think that's the rule.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's also his superhero name. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I don't think it was a legitimate title he earned.
2: But yeah, some combination of those two characters is like my actual like dream life. Like, the idea of, like, teaching a bunch of mutants or running a crew of people and getting into moral dilemmas is, like, that's the yeah. that's the top,
0: you know? Right. Just got to roll around in some toxic waste, see what happens.
2: And he has, like, romantic relationships in both cases, but, like, they're not, He's you never think of him as, like, a ladies' man or, like, that's his thing.
1: I mean, look, Sir Patrick Stewart's Professor X is a valid, ex- like, character to aspire to be. Actual Professor X? <laughs> kind of a dildo. <laughs> a little he bit. He not a great dude. Yeah,
2: One of our friends really hates him, and I'm like, I don't know the comics that well, but from he's at least not the TV awesome. show, the movies, yeah. he's good. Patrick Stewart, we yeah, can Yeah, they
1: toned agree down on. his, like, abusiveness.
0: Yeah, we can agree that Patrick Stewart is great, though. Mm-hmm.
1: And, yes, but, like, how great can you be if you're actively putting, like, young mutant children into like severely dangerous situations on purpose. Oh. You know, it's like, I'm going to give that's you an you education learn. and then, Oh, okay. So like the world is ending little 15 year old boy, go save people. You have described
0: the U S industrial military complex, <laughs> Valid. which is also not great, Very on which brand. is not great. Uh, that's yeah. not my endorsement, yeah. uh, but that's all I've been watching. I watched Blade Runner a bunch and I watched a, a cute show about horse people. Uh, <laughs> oh. Lydia, what have you been watching?
1: Um, too much shit, <sighs> that's so much crap. Um, <laughs> you got your pick up the letter theme now, yeah. I watch a lot of stuff, um, so I'm gonna try and surprisingly, pick I ended
2: up, yeah, watching but i I watched a bunch of shows that I didn't know were six episodes, so it's like, oh, I just finished a show, like it just yeah, like happened to me twice. Too. I'm like, oh, okay,
1: okay, so I'm gonna name one that's like brand new because that might be interesting. Um, we're not going to do brand new cherry flavor on the podcast, are we? It's a show.
2: No, yeah, because it's not no. a movie. Okay, it's like a well, limited series or whatever.
1: Yeah, so I watched brand new cherry flavor on Netflix, which is mm-hmm. a new I think show that from them. One
0: you'd be into? Oh, I don't know anything about that.
1: So, um, it's conceptually it's like very interesting. This young aspiring director moves to LA to try and get her movie made. She meets like a relatively famous but now mostly kind of washed up director Um, and he's interested in making her movie and he wants to like let her direct it and stuff so it's a very cool mentor mentee sort of relationship in the beginning and then of course he ends up being like a rancid pervert who's taking advantage Mm -hmm. of the young ingenue Um, and when she doesn't reciprocate he steals her movie and hires another guy to direct it so she decides to go to this woman that she met in passing at a party who said, you know, if she ever needed help to come see her. And it's Katherine Keener who I do adore. And she's like, I need your help. I want revenge, whatever. And this woman's some kind of a witch type situation. So oh, she's going okay. to put a hex on the director. And that's basically what the show is about. It's about her putting, you know, sort of like a creepy, weird magic hex on this like misogynistic pervert. So like that's showbiz baby. I like (laughs) I like the concept of it. And I think that is genuinely really cool. I think the acting is really cool and interesting. I'm just getting kind of frustrated with the way Netflix is making these shows and movies because it's like the most mass marketed version of like Mm these interesting atmospheric concepts. It's like, it's trying to do like cheap reproductions of like Ari Aster movies and neon Uh, noir films from like the early two thousands. And it's just not working for me. And it's, there are things that are great about brand new cherry flavor. I'm not knocking it. It's really cool to see a woman of color led movie or TV show that feels very feminist.
2: That old cherry flavor. (laughs)
1: And, like, the idea behind it is interesting, but it's the set design and the special effects. It's got all of this sort of, like, neon noir, bubblegum kind of pop feel that they did with gunpowder milkshake. And it just, it's just not good. Mm. It feels confused. And, like, they're trying to do sort of something in between an It Follows and an Atomic Blonde. And they're... It feels like the cheapest version of both those things. And that's what's frustrating to me.
0: It sounds almost like, like it's it would be sterile. You know what I mean? Like if it's trying to, to attempt it too does many have that different feeling. modern yeah. interpretations of things.
1: Yeah, it's it just it feels shallow. I think that's where I'm getting with Mm -hmm. this. It feels like the most hollow and sort of like joyless version of really interesting conceptual film styles that are being explored over the last 10 years. And I don't love that. I don't love that it's being distilled down to that lowest common denominator bullshit where Mm -hmm. it's like. This feels like Blumhouse now. That's what it feels like we're doing. That's sort of like mass marketed paperback bullshit.
0: (laughs) It's the Los Angeles meat grinder. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's like it wants to be like Mulholland Drive meets L.A. Confidential. And it's like the worst version of both of those things. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) What a waste. So it's like it sucks because I do think there's value in it. I think there's like interesting... Stuff that they're trying to do with the actual story and the acting is very, very good, but everything else feels cheap and hollow and just fucking joyless the way, like, 90% of Bloomhouse movies feel these days.
2: Yeah. I didn't feel that. That sucks. But it, make, it makes sense. That's, honestly, even just seeing, like, the, I didn't, I think Netflix just played, like, a tiny bit of the trailer or whatever, and I read the description, um, and I was like, that was the vibe I got. It just felt like yeah. another gunpowder yeah. milkshake. Like, just...
1: And that's that was the thing that drove me fucking nuts about Gunpowder Milkshake, because I talked to so many people about that movie after I watched it. And they were like, no, it was great. It was so fun. Karen Gillan is great. And I'm like, look, the acting was fine. I love Karen Gillan. I love Carla uh, Gugino. Like I love Angela Bassett. Everyone was great in it. The movie was fucking joyless. It was like the worst version of Atomic Blonde meets John Wick. And for whatever reason, they needed to shoehorn in this sort of like maternal instinct bullshit storyline with a hit woman. (laughs) And they made it like confused about the era it was supposed to be in. They just used the like biggest pop culture moments from each decade and shoved them into one movie to be like weirdly visually attractive. And it made it super like... Weird and in, like, it just didn't flow right. Yeah. So, you have people in, like, candy striper outfits from the 50s and mm-hmm. some, like, 1960s looking library and then a razor from the 2000s and a firebird from the 80s. Like, it just didn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. It ruined the flow it of it. It almost
0: sounds like that, like, 70s, 80s, like, backwash soup that we've been getting in movies where they're just trying to reboot things but give them, like, a some, sum- like, from the 80s and give them a somewhat modern spin, but they don't understand the context of why it was like somewhat interesting then and and why that doesn't just fly now. That's maybe yeah. a, a little bit too aggressive no, and, on that stuff, but like, yeah.
1: No, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I don't think there's anything wrong with like that lost in time vibe. I actually really love that sort of like, is this retro, is this futuristic, like, where are we sitting here? Because nobody has cell phones and, like, they're using projectors instead of TVs or whatever. But everyone uses a modern speech pattern and dialect. I find that interesting because it puts you in, into that world really directly and shows you something that feels both ancient and super modern, and I love that. And I think Possessor, like – Uh, by Brandon Cronenberg, did an amazing job with that. I think It Follows did a really solid job of giving you that sort of 90s nostalgia without actually doing just like sort of a schlocky homage to the 90s. I just don't think Netflix knows how to recreate that (laughs) without making it look like a shitty cartoon.
0: Shoutouts to Possessor for that, yeah. Uh, that movie hit. Oh God, how
1: good! That movie, that movie hit me
0: in the stomach in a way that a horror movie hasn't in a while, where I felt viscerally sick. But also thematically, it it, it put the twinge in my stomach, yeah. and that was that was unique. I don't know if it was my favorite, but I liked it a lot.
1: And you can also see unique. like the huge influence that his father has on oh, his yeah. filmmaking style, yeah.
0: undeniable.
1: But it it felt more modern than obviously anything his father has done. So it's like. It's like the next generation. It's the perfect version of a next generation kind of expanding on that style.
0: Yeah, and I hope he, I hope he does yep, break away exactly. further from his father's work well, with his next one because he's got vision. He's got something in that movie that I think he could extrapolate on into another, not necessarily a sequel, but like just take take these cool concepts, blow them outwards. words, and yeah, the further you slide away from being like the son of Cronenberg, I think he could really make um make like a little niche for himself.
1: Yeah, I think he could sit somewhere in between, like, his dad, David Cronenberg, and, like, even a Lynch. Oh, yeah. And I think that would be sort of mm-hmm. a perfect kind of cross-section mm-hmm. for the direction he's already going in. Yeah. That'd be really neat.
2: Yeah, so I – there's a show that just came out on American Network called Peacock, which we do not have over here in Canada. It was on it's some – MSNBC? I it was, yeah, I think it – and it was – so it's on Stack TV on Crave for uh, – not Crave uh, – prime for us. So I thought it was funny because on ours it was like, oh, it's playing on showcase. So it's a showcase show. And I'm like, why is showcase has this like incredibly expensive show? Cause it's just some random channel here in Canada. Um, so that was really funny, but it's one of my favorite dystopian novels from th- I have always loved it more than 1984. I read them at the same time. Cause that's what people said to do back then. And it's very interesting because the idea is it's a dystopia as By keeping everyone happy. So instead of 1984 where everyone's miserable. and It's all about propaganda. And and like everything's in a miserable war. In Brave New World. The premise is that. They create a utopia. They're in New London. And in New London. Everything's amazing. Everyone is sorted now in society. Into five sort of classes. Alpha, beta, uh, gamma, delta, epsilon. Uh, Alpha's live and are responsible for the whole of society. Betas are sort of socialites who live and and get to have fun in their lives. And then each class below that um, do different work in the thing and are happy to do it. And how everyone stays happy is they have these drugs that are super mass produced called Soma. And so everyone takes Soma all the time and they did it so well in the show where everyone carries around with them these Pez dispensers. And so whenever anything goes wrong in society, you hear this click Because that's someone like pezzing out a drug in order to deal with the situation. That's how they deal with literally everything. Anyone bumps into you. Anything, anyone says something the wrong way to you and you're just like, pop a pill. I'm better now. We're great. So the show really begins that premise and really gets you that feeling of this like perfect utopia, everyone's happy together type thing. And in the original book, the thing that really disrupts the society is them seeing that there's people who live outside of society who live in the way people used to live um, called and they're called them savages in here it's a theme park of how people used to live and they have no idea how people really used to live or they have some idea but they they, they mistook tons of stuff so it's so funny so they have stuff like their biggest holiday was Black Friday. And they show like all these people storming through a Walmart lookalike and just like uh, doing that because it's a theme park. And so all yeah. the utopian and enlightened people are just love visiting there to see how horrible and crazy the savages were. And it's just a cute so satire. So
1: it's like Westworld meets Epcot Center. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes.
2: It's I, so well done and I so have, fun.
0: I have hope for that show. I really hope that they can keep the focus on... Like not not look at it and be like, "Oh, look, like taking medication is bad or look, like not like, look, having had these 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 interactions is bad or like not dealing with them is, you know, I, I hope they they can focus on like the same themes as as the novel. Have you noticed I, that at all?
2: so i' I finished the show, and oh, okay. I, and it's been cancelled, which is unfortunate because I really do think <laughs> it could have it could have went further.
1: That's just such a bummer that like their launch show for their new fucking platform, they canceled yeah. it like gunned, immediately. It That's embarrassing for NBC.
0: I was really hoping mm-hmm. like you could do so much legwork with that premise. Like the whole the whole book itself is like it quite literally is the mirror dystopia.
2: So so the, the season finishes the book, right? Mm-hmm. But I do think they set off in a spot where you could have went further and been interesting. But you know, they they finished a season and it and it's interesting. I do think, even though, yeah, it's the finishing of the book or whatever, it, they didn't stick the landing. There's something about it where they really just gave up on this idea of this, like, utopian society and, like, a critique of it. They kind of just went, like, we want to do something dazzling for the
0: ending. That's uh, that's a this shame. This is how
1: I felt about The Stand. It's the same way I felt yeah. about The Stand. Yeah, The Stand is like, the same thing. Yeah. Where they just did sick the landing. They just wanted to do something sort of like ostentatious rather than actually closing out the story in sort of a compelling or interesting way. Yeah.
2: So what I do appreciate most, though, compared to reading the book, is there's a mid-season twist that is phenomenal. Like they really take a new idea to the book and modernize it in a way that feels so interesting. And one of the things I like about Brave New World so much is that there is an attempt in a way to show a utopian society and then a point where they're like, okay, but why doesn't it work? And I love that tension that there is something about society that is, unlike 1984 is just clearly evil from the Mm get-go. Like there's no sense in which you're ever like, oh yeah, this was obviously good. There are parts of Brave New World where you're like, maybe this is the best we can do, right? Like they knew they had to have workers, right? So why not just make the workers not think about it much and just have them do their work and do drugs to be happy. Right. And it's only when this is from the book. So I hope it's not too much of a spoiler show, but it's only when they're disrupted and they're told that their work might not be that fulfilling that they then start noticing the resentment building within them. But it was the there. Labor. So yeah, it was there. So fair enough. Right. Like it, it exists and it's an important, it's an important part. So I really appreciated the conceptual basis of the show and they, it looks good too. It works out, but yeah, I do wish the second half of the show went places in a better way.
0: Yeah, it's a shame they couldn't stick the landing, or at least, yeah, maintain some of that momentum. But at least, I, I, I'm really to, re- interested to see the um, the modernized twist you said that comes in the the middle of the season. That I know, I can't. It's, that... it's
2: so hard to say anything without spoiling it. So Don't it's bear. like I Yeah, there's nothing, but it's like it's all I want to talk about.
1: Honestly, <laughs> like it's the
2: <laughs> coolest part.
1: So much of our, like, new or, like, new-ish sci-fi television that's been coming out lately has had such a, like, similar vibe to me. You know, like, this Brave New World show sounds cool, but it sounds a lot like Westworld and Utopia and that, yeah. like, wolves mm-hmm. one that came out not too long ago about the robots and, like, it's, it's just they raised all... Raised by wolves, yeah. Raised by wolves. They all sound... Even though the stories are very different, they they have such a similar feel to them, and they have a similar look to them. They're all beautiful, but they just have the same aesthetic. And it's maybe it's just because I'm not a huge sci-fi fan, but it's getting difficult for me to be excited about watching these things that feel like other things that I've already watched. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I uh, I think I think it kind of circles back to why Blade Runner's aesthetic was so effective is because Yes, it was a fresh take on a future where it's like this capitalist dystopia where new city is being built over top of a a city that already exists. There's the giant Atari signs and like all the neon lights, but also the slums. But um, this modern future aesthetic seems to be uh, completely enamored with like like sterilized environments. Like Mm -hmm. it's everything Mm -hmm. is is idyllic and perfect, and it's the people inside that are flawed, as opposed to the the inverse which is like i think i think a lot of these sci-fi shows are starting to become well a lot of them have always been focused on like the different ways that we've kind of that we can kind of doom ourselves but i don't like the idea of them all being about uh the human like the the humans living inside of it being
1: yeah the human condition they are very introspective i'll agree and i don't i don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing to explore like i get why we're all exploring that we're all going through a collective existential crisis right now, but I'm just like, <laughs> it's it's getting like a little hard to differentiate between these pieces of content when they all mm-hmm. look so similar. I mean, particularly Westworld and Raised by Wolves where like, I was 100% convinced for a good full episode that the main actress in Raised by Wolves was Evan Rachel uh, Wood from Westworld because they look so similar. Like there's just...
0: I wonder if that was a conscious choice. Yeah. I don't
1: know. Even though all of them are individually very good, yeah. To me, yeah,
0: they're.
2: I see what you're saying. I wouldn't have put the three of them together, but it's especially um, Westworld and Brave New World. There is a way in which you can almost see them as uh, inverses of each other. Whereas mm-hmm. Westworld is an idyllic society that you don't get to see much of on the outside. That has that goes to Westworld in order to feel something,
1: mm, right? Whereas it's not. In, if you watch the third season, you actually are in the real world and the real yeah, world but, yeah. is very clean and sterile and beautiful looking. But the way in which they treat the different classes of people and how they eliminate the lower edges of society to keep that clean perfection has a really similar vibe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. And the, the, But yeah.
2: So I'm saying but it reverse as in like Westworld focuses on the let's say in what in um, Brave New World is the theme is the theme park. The theme park does play a role in brave new world but seven out of the eight episodes of the show take place in the in the main idyllic space and that's the main driver and it's sort of exploring these the perfect people in their lives and they're like they're coming to understand what was good about
0: the the before times
2: yeah the before times and whatnot and one one character for example is like um an emotion. I she she called, but she's like a so the different a uh, alpha classes they each have like a world controlling type job like one person produces all the music whereas in this uh, girl she, she produces all of the these like not all of them but she's one of the main producers of these feelies which are like movies but she can inject emotions directly into you so instead of just seeing the thing she just feeds emotion directly into her brain because yeah. they're all connected to this like. Network, Which is how the utopia stays together. They're all connected through this um, contact lens into like a super network called Indra. And that's what things. And so actually I should get to the actual like thing where. So their premises of like how utopia works is that their slogan is everyone belongs to everyone else. There's no such thing as privacy. You never have monogamous relationships and everyone just has sex with each other all the time and takes drugs all the time. That's how they maintain a sense of, like, no one can hide anything. There's never any problems. All conflict is always put out in the open immediately. And it's always, like, either you take drugs to solve it or you have sex to solve it. And then they produce new, fun trends in fashion, trends in these feelies where everyone goes to these parties. So this, like, party, you know, DJ Lord, uh, woman who's doing these feelings, she's the one who um, becomes obsessed with... Uh, um, like emotion, she's like, how do you know? How do you write? Uh, the savage asks her, "How do you write a story?" Right? And she's like, "Well, of course, you just like have a cool feeling. Like, let's say like you can float in space, and floating is a really cool feeling. And then you have an orgy." And she's like, "That's a story." <laughs> and he's like, "No, there has to be conflict." She's like, "I don't. What? I don't understand. Like, conflict is bad." You know, what, why would you ever want to do it? But then he, like, punches someone and everyone is obsessed with the feeling of being punched. They're like, oh, my God, this oh, is that so sounds new. sounds great. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so that starts this whole cascade into
0: everyone being Time like, for
1: the Caligula um, orgy party. Someone get yeah, the baby. Everyone's just
0: beating on each <laughs> other. Everyone's just punching. It's yeah.
1: sexual <laughs> fight club.
0: Ooh. Yeah. First rule is always talk about fight club
1: always have a boner <laughs> during fight club
0: yes but
2: um, I, um the, the guy who plays john the savage was actually uh alden elrin elrin reich oh my god i can't i don't know if i can pronounce that's that that's a sci-fi but name he he played um han solo in the solo movie oh, so weird. that was really fun he apparently hasn't been in much else that was really his like big role
0: uh that's the. to be fair that's a pretty huge role uh, he's got That's to be what well I mean. Connected. It's just
2: weird that he hasn't gotten other work since then.
1: Yeah, because people shit on him tremendously for yeah. that movie. All the like uh... diehard, gatekeep, girl boss, Star Wars fans. Just like shit oh, on everything that's not OG.
0: I uh, I don't want to detract from how interesting Brave New World sounds, but I <laughs> wanted to focus on uh Joseph, you said the word DJ Lord, and I can't get the image out of my head of like a feudal like music mixing lord like like a like a that like runs a fiefdom and like <laughs> has subjects i don't know something about like like edo period dj lord is just stuck in my head
1: just drop the bass my sire
0: yeah like i'm going to i'm going to sit down and brainstorm this later on <laughs>
2: I, I did watch some other stuff. I might save it for another podcast because I
1: I have some stuff to say about
2: them. But, yeah, we have other stuff to uh to discuss.
1: I mean, man, I got so much shit on this list. Like <laughs> I can I'm going to do I'm just going to real quick rapid fire some ones that I don't have any interest in talking about. How about that? That's seems yeah. easy. I've
0: got one as well. If we wanted to keep going.
1: Sick. All right. Rapid fire in no particular order. And I don't have a ton to say about it. I watched the second season of Outer Banks. It's not a great show. I love that show. <laughs> it's Goonies yeah. for young adults. That's all you My need to know loves about that it. that show,
2: which I find so funny. I mean, and like, sure. Is this your teen romp?
1: It's not I great. Like, it's uh-huh. not a great show. I'm not going to pretend it's a great show. It's a stupid show, but I fucking love the Goonies, and this is big-time Goonies meets, like, Sahara vibes. I love a good treasure hunt. So it's a good time. She loves sets.
2: Cool. I think that's a big. The,
1: the show that's supposed to take place in North Carolina, but is actually filmed in South Carolina for no discernible reason. <laughs> yeah, just to spite them. Some rockin sets. Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, I also did some like early to mid 90s movie rewatches. I rewatched Some of All Fears. Mm-hmm. Not a great movie. Doesn't hold up mm. super well. Ben Affleck sucks. I just, I wouldn't expect to. I just really fucking hate Ben Affleck. I hate his stupid face. It's not even that he's like he's not a good actor, but it's not even because he's not a good actor. I just hate his stupid peaked in high school fucking college frat boy face, and I want to punch it. (laughs) Hate his goddamn face. Anyway, moving on. I watched Pretty Woman, Uh, and then I watched the episode of the movies that made us about Pretty Woman, and it made Mm -hmm. me really uncomfortable about Pretty Woman.
2: Yeah, I anything I remember about Pretty Woman, I'm like this cannot have aged well. Like I just no. cannot imagine it.
1: It it certainly could have aged worse. It's still not great. Mm. Like it definitely feels like a weird abuse of power dynamic situation, but she's getting her bag, you know. She's getting that coin, so good for her. Um and then it does that classic 80s 90s like basically boombox over your head moment at the end, which is fine with oh, Richard God. Gere. Um, And the costume design is fucking incredible in that movie. If you're a big fan of costume design, it's pretty phenomenally done. But the episode of movies that made us about Pretty Woman may make you uncomfortable about Pretty Woman. And the guy who originally (laughs) wrote the script, who just like. Yikes. It's not even that bad. It's just like the script he wrote was really fucking dark. And it was about the lives of these sex workers that he like knew personally and in his script he basically like had one horrifically and brutally murdered um and like the movie was like super dark and about the really like abusive lives of sex workers which you know is true for streetwalkers but also very disquieting um and he was like almost to an unreasonable degree uncomfortable like angry that the studio wouldn't make it and this movie was put out by touchstone which is a disney production company so like what the fuck did you expect yeah so anyway it's a weird vibe that's
0: a tough sell Mm -hmm.
1: it's a strange vibe um i don't necessarily recommend a revisit unless you're in your 40s and really loved it when it came out first i don't know and then i watched practical magic
2: okay that sounds like a fun one
1: (laughs) which is a lot stranger Of a storyline than I remember it being. (laughs) Love the ants in it. Big Sabrina the Teenage Witch energy. Very into the vibe. Mm -hmm. Love Sandra Bullock. Love Nicole Kidman. She's wooden as always, but she's very adorable in this movie. But like the movie is about Sandra Bullock's husband only married her because of a love spell. And then he dies by being hit by a truck in the middle of the street. And then her sister has an abusive boyfriend and Sandra Bullock goes to get her and the abusive boyfriend takes them hostage and then they murder him and then they use magic to bring him back to life. And shocker, he comes back as a zombie ghost and then they have to re-murder him with a police officer played by Aiden Quinn and then Sandra Bullock and Aiden Quinn fall in love. And that's what the fucking movie is about.
0: It's a cautionary tale about love spells and their only way of dis- being dispelled, which is trucks.
1: It is the weirdest fucking energy. It's like <laughs> Pet Cemetery meets Sabrina for no fucking reason. It had no excuse to be this weird and heartwarming simultaneously. Like, it shouldn't be doing two things like that. It's so strange. And yet I did love it. But it's uncomfortable. I-
0: Sounds like it's got character.
1: It certainly has that.
2: I was thinking recently about how, like, every piece of media where someone can be resurrected always ends up being bad. And I'm like, (gasps) why has it got to be bad? Like, why can't, why can't there ever just be like, it's sometimes just nice to get someone back, even though it's not possible? But I I think, yeah,
0: I think it's because they already did that story, like in the Bible. It's, uh, they already did like the best version, right? They're like, this guy died, he took away all the sin, and then he comes back, and everyone's like, Yo, I do love the the guys off the Christian vibe here. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, You know, how do you how do you top a story where someone took all the sin out of the world and then and then came back? It's a real bummer
1: that there somehow ended up being like so much sin in the world immediately after that, though.
0: Yeah, I I think that the plot holes the plot holes are are hard to ignore.
1: Yeah. He died for our sins, and then we immediately, like, started sinning right the fuck away. And I think, like, well, yeah. realistically, the purpose is just that, like, he'll forgive you at the end when you're, like, about to die. And you can just be like, hey, Jesus, you remember that time you died on a cross for our sins? I'm cashing in that shit. Yeah. Uh, you got to let me in if you don't sin, then he
0: died for nothing.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's very
2: strange. <laughs> It's sometimes strange for me to think that some of the stories in the Old Testament are older than, like, the Greek stories that we know. Like, like Greek philosophies younger than a lot of those stories. Mm. I just find that bizarre. I always think of the entire Bible as being written at the same time as Jesus, even though mm-hmm. the most of it is written way before.
1: And, Very like, strange. all of the New Testament stuff, almost all of it is written, like, way after.
2: Yeah, but it's written, it's, the period it's written about is, yeah.
1: Yeah, but yeah, it's like it's like 400 uh, years later.
2: Character
1: switch. <laughs> and they're like, hey, my, my grandfather's grandfather's grandfather told this story about this fucking dude. You want to write a book about it?
0: <laughs> yeah, 33-year-old carpenter. <laughs> yeah,
1: who had like a uh, drinking problem because he kept turning every beverage into wine. Yeah. <laughs> like, why don't we dwell on that more? That's a weird thing to do.
0: Not a, of, not a lot of love spells in the Bible.
1: It's also like, I'm going to turn it into my my wine, and then my wine is also my blood, so please drink my bodily fluids.
0: There's like zombies, there's cannibalism. It's a romp. It's not family-friendly, however. Bible. Yeah.
2: Could you imagine being like, uh, your kids can't read the Bible. It's not family-friendly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's inappropriate. Yeah, they inappropriate. took it out of the Christian bookstore. <laughs> uh, speaking of the fantastical, uh, I watched The Green Knight uh, from, mm. I think it's David Lowry. Yes. Uh, who did Ghost Story, which is another A24 oh, joint. Oh, my
1: God. I will rant about Ghost Story yeah. no, on this stop. episode again. I'll fucking do oh,
0: it. I have nothing to say the, about Ghost Story, yeah. uh, but I have a lot to say about The Green Knight.
2: Yeah. So we just talked about this all, like, I just, because I watched it too, So I, I, and I talked about it last episode. So this is... Hmm. Funny, but yeah. Um, <laughs> what we can
0: go through your take. Wait, you saw the ghost? You saw Green Knight uh, yeah. last last episode? Okay, I missed that then. Uh, no, I d- the
2: episode just came out yesterday.
0: Oh okay. Oh, it was um, this the,
1: is this the Willy's Wonderland episode. Yeah. I have no memory oh, about. Oh god, Wonder. I don't want to
0: talk about Willy's. <laughs> that movie's brutal. Loved it. Wait, uh, that's not that's not the Nicolas Cage one.
2: Oh yeah, it
1: is. Oh, it is. Okay,
0: that's a brutal movie. Oh it uh, is. Pr- pr- I'm glad I missed that. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I loved it. Uh so to not to not to tread old ground, but I really like the Green Knight. Uh mm. super weird. I I spent a lot of my time in university studying uh Arthurian uh, Oh, so
2: you'd actually have the context. I did not have the context. I was just yeah, so, going in. So
0: I've I've got the context, and so I, I understand a lot of the criticism. I read a lot of reviews of like mm. zero stars, no nudity, uh, or like Walked Out Halfway story about party boy who doesn't get brave. Like, why would I watch this?
1: <laughs> I bet you're going to say I... story in this like hyper masculine voice story time <laughs> about party boy who doesn't get naked. <laughs> and I was like, I would um, love if that was the review. That would be amazing <laughs> for this like hyper masculine person to make that yeah, the this, review. <laughs>
0: this, this dude's really hyped to see cock, but uh, does not get the chance. We don't um, get
1: enough full frontal dong. In our movies these
0: days. No, props to Midsummer for full frontal dong Uh, uh, flapping about in the wind.
1: Yeah, that's not the dong anyone wanted, though.
0: No, but it's nice to, you know, it's just nice to have the representation.
1: Fair enough.
0: (laughs) But uh, I really liked it. I thought it was, aside from one bit in the middle with uh, some giant women that didn't seem to fit into the movie very well, really interesting story about... I think you could I think it's an interesting way of modernizing an old story about bravery and responsibility and what honor means even outside of the chivalric code and also modernizing it to kind of discuss unearned sexual con- conquests and martial prowess and the idea of like someone's myth not actually representing the person very well. No. Super cool movie. I understand the bad reviews but the fact that um i forgot the actor's name but the gentleman who plays the father in the witch his his voice is like oh my god it's like a it's like a jungle cat uh in like an opera house like there's a resonance to him uh he's in the movie
2: does he play the the person like the, the lord of the keep
0: he name? plays the green knight oh the green oh yeah of course yeah and he and he just is just a yeah he's just an imposing figure yeah he's so good. um I don't want Innocent. to linger too long on that. Ralph like, Innocent. Yeah, he is. Uh, you got to hear his voice to to believe it. He is the real. He's the real shit. Yeah. Cool movie, though.
2: Yeah, I I, I still think about it a lot. And the the mix between like the fable like qualities of it versus mm-hmm. the like realism, especially in the early bits where right away in the first tale that you're sort of going through, you see that this is just a real world and he's dealing with like real world problems. But then it like with the the battlefield and whatnot.
0: Yeah. I was gonna say the stuff that follows immediately gets pretty that, wacky That's that's the thing. That, so
2: it's like it's it's kind of exists in this weird space where it's not all like it's clearly not all or it's not how we expect it. It's not like a just a it's not a satire. It's some mm-hmm. particular space that I find very modern, very interesting. It
0: is, yeah. It is definitely a modern take on it. It hates a lot of the it hits a lot of the, the the points from the original, but it does spin them a little bit. It doesn't make Sir Gawain like quite the um, he's not the brave dashing hero off the start. What I will say is Arthurian legend, uh, or myth, I guess if you want to call it that, is it is inherently fantastical. Like it is, it is fantasy. Uh, Sir Gawain in other poems had basically like he'd gone off to fight cat people, dragons. Uh, I think a ghost at some point. I think it's hard to kind of strip that out and make a movie because then it just becomes like like eurocentric larping and then if you put it in too far then it just kind of becomes like Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. you know like mimicry despite you know where Lord of the Rings comes from but um I think well, it I think it did a decent job of walking that line.
1: I also think mm-hmm. with with you know when you're trying to turn an epic poem or a series of epic poems into a film or a television show there needs to be somehow lyrical quality to the storytelling you know like it can't it's it's not something that you can really do in a linear fashion like traditional cinema and i think Mm -hmm. that's the falling point of when they did that beowulf movie not the like shitty half animated half live action thing which was fine maybe it was distracting sure but Mm -hmm. they lost all of the sort of like style and atmosphere and integrity that makes an epic poem fucking epic and a poem and they just made it into a standard action film with fantasy monsters and that's Yeah. I haven't seen The Green Knight yet yeah. but like from the trailers from what you guys are saying from the reviews I've read it feels like he's managed to tap into and really turn that lyrical like poetic quality into a cinematic yeah. experience.
0: I think I think you're right. I think that is something I enjoy about it. And I think that's that's inherently why this this poem makes more sense is that it actually does have like it does have like the the moral side of it. It is it is in some ways a parable. Uh it does actually have some somewhat of a hero's journey which the director had taken some liberties with and had I think rounded out the edges to make more sense. But like Unlike Beowulf, like Beowulf, if, if you've read it, um, it doesn't make any sense. It's like three disjointed small parables that could barely be assembled into a story. That movie, like you said, yeah, like the lyrical qualities, the the actual uh, structure of it is lost. Mm-hmm. This one, I think, does manage to, to actually like end cap, like start a story, end of story, which... Which surprised me. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And I mean, I think even still with Beowulf, even with the structure of that poem, you can still have a beginning, middle, and end. Like, there is a clear (laughs) fable to Beowulf and Grendel that you can adapt. They just didn't do it with any style, with any aesthetic or atmosphere or sort of like magic to it.
0: It was hollow. Yeah. It was hollow. And it's um,
1: incredibly difficult to capture what an epic poem can do and make that a film or cinematic or television experience. And it it does feel like from everything I'm seeing that David Lowry has managed to effectively do that. And I think that might be why so many people kind of hate it too. I,
0: I mm. think you're right. And uh, I'm, I, I haven't heard Joseph's uh, hot take on this, but to your point, Lydia, much of the visual side of the movie like much of the actual like the excuse me uh the filming of it much of the uh symbolism much of like the imagery that they they use and that they borrow from does lend itself to again like that fantastical uh where it can't where it can't do it with like narrative it does so with imagery which i think is really interesting yeah yeah but i liked it quite a bit uh hard recommend though if um if you're into like like Lord of the Ringsy kind of action stuff. It doesn't touch any of those notes.
2: It's more, yeah. I, I like because I'm just repeating lines that I said in the previous episode. But also, <laughs> so, like, like it is. It's very a twenty four. So it's more. Yeah. Oh yes. On the on that line of movies than an epic adventure, things. Even I though s- technically there is an adventure in it.
1: I still stand by, fuck David o. Lowry or David Lowry's oh yeah. ghost story. Yeah. No matter how good this movie is. <laughs> fuck ghost story. The movie sucked. Yeah.
2: All right, we got another
0: Parable in the Woods coming up.
1: All right. Yeah, let's dig yeah, into the say, main that's a, event.
0: a good transition. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Who wants to introduce it, give it the rundown?
1: You should. It was your pick. Yeah,
0: sure. <laughs> Why not? Uh, so I'd initially picked a different movie, but it was uh, next to impossible to, to stream in Canada. Thank you. <laughs> Regional licensing. Um, so we watched uh, The Ritual, uh, which is I have to guess is like published, I guess, by Netflix or at least distributed by them. Uh, had a, we learned it had a very small run in indie theaters, um, and it is about four gentlemen. It's four gentlemen, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah, four gentlemen who uh, recently experienced a loss. One of their friends had died, uh, and one of them, one of the four, had been a witness to it. And they embarked on a hiking trip in uh, rural Sweden to close the loop to commemorate him and then also kind of have their wake and then shit gets hairy uh in 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 typical i guess swedish wilderness way (laughs) so i i'm gonna be a little bit spoilery um but i don't think the spoilers will ruin it but there's a there's a beast in the woods and it pulls from them fear and it lures them deeper in and they (laughs) Don't all make it. (laughs) Uh, I don't know how much more I can say without just giving away the whole thing. But
1: Yeah, I mean, this movie, I mean, it came out three years ago. So, you know, if you haven't seen it yet, it's your own fault. But it was a bit of a sleeper hit, (laughs) I will admit. It it didn't, it had no business being as good as it was, especially on a budget of like a million dollars.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's got a clean runtime too. It's almost like a clean hour and a half. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't waste any time leading mm-hmm. into its first couple uh, tense moments, which I think some of them happen within the first five minutes.
1: Yeah. It. You know what? And in that way, it reminds me a lot of a lot of the horror movies that are coming out recently, like even The Lodge, which is by the same directors who did Goodnight yeah, Mommy. It reminded me of it. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is the movie that we had initially been thinking of doing. Um, but yeah. The Lodge has a very like... Drama infused, not necessarily horror infused, intense moment right in the first fifteen minutes of the film, and I think the ritual really does a very similar thing and evokes a similar feeling. And even *Midsummer*, *Midsummer* the first fifteen minutes has yeah. this like really intense yeah. personal drama moment. So I I I do like that that establishing thing is starting to happen because it creates an immediate tension that's a lot easier to sort of pull through a movie and kind of relate to other things happening. My only concern, and this isn't specific to The Ritual, it's just this stylistic choice, is that it's starting to become almost too common for Mm -hmm. these particular sort of atmospheric horrors to have that like family drama moment right in the beginning to create or establish tension and then sort of milk that drama throughout the whole picture.
0: Yeah. yeah, And I think yeah. that's, um, sorry, Joseph, you go.
2: I just want to dig into that. Like the, um, for me, one of the strongest parts of the movie is the um, connection to the main character sort of trauma with this initial moment. Mm-hmm. So how it goes is he's at a liquor store and uh, two guys come in to rob the place and uh, start robbing his friend, who's also in the store. He cowers behind uh, an aisle and just sort of hides at the end of the aisle where his friend can see him, but the robbers can't. And he's unable to do anything as his friend gets beaten to death. And so part of this trip is his own dealing with this situation, not in just feeling sorrow for his friend, which, of course, all of them are. All of them are grieving for the loss of their friend, but also his own internal thing. And you see that right away that he's clearly dealing with this on a more intense level than mm-hmm. maybe not more intense than the other ones, but like in, on this different level where his own cowardice really haunts him. And he yeah, wonders what more, kind of person he is.
1: It's more sort of guilt and shame than like just a true grief. Not that he isn't mm-hmm. grieving, but like that grief is sort of internalized because of his own guilt.
0: Yeah, and the movie spends a long time like really exercising that, that scene. Uh, and so as the, the friends are lost in the woods, uh, the main character- Yeah, this character... is my favorite part
2: of the of the movie, this this thing. that
0: Yeah, so the main character, he, he wakingly revisits the scene where his friend died. So in the middle of like a dense moss-laden like laden forest, these like fluorescent lights will light up like eight feet off the ground and aisles will appear well lit, like loaded up with alcohol and his friend will be there and the scene will just repeat. Um, and it happens, I think th- three times throughout the movie and like that this, this, the sense of powerlessness like the sense of like personal responsibility just, it keeps repeating itself um, as the main character, um, as the group, I guess are facing, uh, a new horror in the woods and the way they do it is so, um it's surreal I love it. yeah. but it's also, um It's also like a great method of communicating that kind of trauma, like having to relive it on the spot uh, whenever, whenever like tensions start to spike.
1: It's just flashbacks constantly. Yeah. What I did find interesting about this, the way it ends, I, I almost wish they had given it a more ambiguous ending because the more I think about it. Um, if it wasn't for that establishing shot at the end that sort of told you what happened, you almost wouldn't be able to tell if what he was experiencing was really happening or if it was just a true manifestation of his guilt and then watching, re- oh, replaying replaying the the moment of his friend's death in this liquor store and then watching and not being able to stop the death of each one of his other friends throughout this journey. And, like, how mm-hmm. he's coping and not coping and sort of breaking down from the potential of his own cowardice leading to the death of everyone he loves. And I think, I think that ending, because we discussed this during the movie, that they sort of fumbled the ending a little bit. I feel like it wouldn't have felt as sort of kind of wishy-washy to me if they had have given it an ambiguous ending that could have meant... All of this was sort of in his head as like a trauma response to a terrible situation and to his friends feeling like he was a coward and should have done more.
0: Yeah, that's something I've been chewing on after my first watch for cer- for certain and after this watch as well. Because um, like the movie does give a fairly, gr- uh, I'm not going to say grounded is the right word, but I'll, I'll go with it. Uh, take on the ending like it like he he, he arrives to uh, the compound of some kind of cult that worships, worships the monster he has an escape scene he fires a gun at it like typical like end of horror movie kind of things but there is a, a closing s- shot that is it kind of frames much of it as allegorical about him dealing with both the the guilt uh, since he felt powerless to act uh, when his friend needed him whereas now at the end he has he has kind of he has found that power again yeah Um, but, but it, but it does kind of walk that line and it doesn't choose a side, which is, I think part of the the problem of it. Whereas a movie like Annihilation, right? It leaves it completely ambiguous and it, and it leaves you to interpret it. This movie says like, no, it happened. There's a monster.
1: And that's Mm -hmm. the thing. I, I kind of wish that this monster, because so much of what they establish throughout the film, this like flashback hallucination, waking nightmare stuff that's happening, I wish that we had more ambiguity or we leaned into a more ethereal space where this monster and everything that could that happened could be more hallucinatory and more of a manifestation of his trauma and his guilt and his like shame. And I think that might have been a more interesting conversation. And I'm not saying he needed to like wake up from a dream sequence or any of that kind of horseshit. I just wish it was less clear that this was like no monsters are real in Sweden for no reason.
0: yeah exactly. <laughs> I, I promised a hot take um, while we were watching this um, since each of us had already seen it but I thought now is a good time because since we keep referencing the monster uh, I think this movie might have one of the best monsters and monster reveals yeah. Uh, yeah. in this style of horror movie or in horror uh, movies like for quite a span of time maybe like a number of years. There's a framing scene where uh, the creature like walks out in front of a burning cottage, and you see like its full silhouette. You you see like all the parts of it that like look like an animal, all the pieces that look supernatural, and the way it all assembles, and like, yeah, it is just it is a uh, there's a there's a primal fear that I felt the first time I saw it because it, mm-hmm. I, I I'm unique. not gonna do it any justice. Yeah, it's unique it's and there's like and it's purposeful.
1: Like, it's somewhere. Yeah, there's between... human elements. That's the thing that it's somewhere between like true monster horror and sort of uncanny valley because it Mm -hmm, sort of has like human features, like the weird hands and the legs in the wrong part and the eyes. A
0: torso. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's head is almost, it's almost two torsos meeting at the waist and the bottom half has arms, which are uh, usable and a face and the upper half uh, has uh, antlers, basically. The arms are like antlers, and no face, and it's, yeah, it, it is. Kind it is. It um...
1: has legs on that top. Yeah, half and it too. kind <laughs> of
0: has legs. It's, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting mishmash. The monster team, whoever developed that thing uh, and and workedshopped it and displayed it that way, they really killed it. My wow. God.
2: Its its behavior is also completely mysterious because you see it do different things at different times, and it's like it it never fully coherent. It chooses people sometimes. It Fs with some people seemingly for no reason, whereas it leaves other people alone. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's a moment where it leaves a character alone and just kind of, like, draws itself upwards into, like, this strange totem pole. Like a crane. Like, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, okay. <laughs> and you get glimpses of its form and its feeling right from the beginning of the movie where you see, like, effigies or symbols of it to, to come. And I think... The whole space the movie puts around it, I do think it's shown a little too much at the end. I think it's a little too visible. I kind of agree with that. Yeah. Overall, like they do a really good trajectory overall of like starting slow and getting you to it.
1: I sort of wish they had kept the reveal to just that silhouette in front of that burning cottage. And maybe even just make that the end. Because I think that is sort of an ambiguous level where you can't really tell what is happening. Especially after the moment with gla- Glasses, like that, whose yeah. name I can't remember, um, Dom. is Dom, thank you, is tied to the pole and he sees his wife. Mm. And like that lends itself to a certain level of could this be supernatural or could this be sort of allegorical and ambiguous and like a metaphorical moment? And I wish we had had a little bit more exploration of what that particular waking hallucination was. Like, you know, you have your main character. See Hutch, the guy who died right away, walk across the silhouette with the monster or some, something that makes it seem oh, like these people could still exist, even though he also saw them die. Just something to give it yeah. like a more ambiguous, more dreamlike sort of trauma hallucination thing and just cut it off at the scene in front of the fire where you get the silhouette so you don't get the full yeah. monster reveal although you would miss that screaming into the void moment which i did really love
0: yeah the the movie does a like it does a pretty decent job of not explaining away the monster mm-hmm. um which i liked cuz yeah, like there true. is the scene with dom where his wife visits him and then it turns out it's the monster portraying itself to him as a figure like cuz there's a scene uh, earlier in the movie where he's screaming out her name in like a waking nightmare um and it's clear that he like misses her and there's like regret about having left given all the bad shit that's happening and at the end that's what he, he gets to see her again but but yeah like the main character doesn't have the same there isn't a moment where he breaks the illusion there is a moment where he like thematically like defeats the monster he doesn't kill it but he like uh is strong enough to like say no to it but there's isn't a moment where uh he very clearly ge- breaks through the guilt yeah of his specific trauma and i th- and i think that's that's where i agree with you is that it's it's so I guess the, the one flaw I feel the the monster does have in, in its place in the story is that it isn't – it walks that line too closely.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, they, don't, think, they don't know if, if it's physical or not.
1: I think they just didn't explore – I think that's what it is really for me is that they didn't explore his trauma in the way that it felt like the movie was trying to do. They just didn't go deep enough mm-hmm. into it. Right. You know what I mean?
0: I feel like part of that's probably just – the movie's pace is really –
1: it is rapid. It,
0: it's it's snappy. It's never yeah. stopping for any moments. But the moments it does stop, it's usually trying to characterize some of the other men on the hiking trip. And I think maybe if they had snipped that number down from the get-go, not like killed them off, but maybe if like one or two of the characters who don't do a lot are missing, and then they spent the, the in-between time maybe exploring the main character's guilt, that might have Honestly, been more satisfying. Even if, they,
1: even if they had killed them off early, but had them keep coming back to him in the same way he's having the flashbacks of this liquor store to show just the compoundment of trauma and, and guilt, I think would have been more thematically interesting than us exploring the relationships between these men for 60 minutes and then a (laughs) bunch of kills and then, the end you know and i mean I yeah. and this is coming from somebody who still really really enjoyed this movie and found it does have a very rapid pace and is very successful at the pacing i just think that there was more that they could have done to explore mm-hmm. the clear themes that are there
2: yeah i wonder i would agree i feel like one of the turning points of the movie is when they first find that cabin in the mm. sort of midpoint the first cabin
1: I do wish someone had died there. I think that would have been... Not... In, that sounds bad. But, like, I think that would have been sort of impactful. I liked when they all woke up. And you see how it affected each of them individually. But I think right after that, you probably could have had a death and it would have been fine. You know what
2: I mean? I Yeah, you know, I just wondered, like... So he's chosen by the monster mm-hmm. in some way. Mm-hmm. They aren't. And but they
0: all they have said that nightmares. it's because he has great pain.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so I just... After two watch throughs of this movie, I think maybe even three, I still don't quite understand what that move was. Like why did they all have nightmares? Why did they all act the way they did? Because none of the other characters are given really, except Dom, a little bit, how they feel about the situation. No, I guess each of them have their little line about how they feel about the situation. And I think
1: these nightmares I think these nightmares are supposed to be this sort of ethereal monster testing each of them and exploring the depth of their trauma to see who is like the most disturbed among them that it can Mm -hmm. keep as like a worshiper and it eventually comes to the conclusion that it's going to be our main character
0: and that's that scene is really good i agree but I, i do agree that it does kind of it doesn't uh again like play directly into the theme of the movie which i believe to be like the the guilt and the uh and the powerlessness like that that scene is amazing it's uh, a subversion of like the haunted cabin trope in a way that isn't just like a an obvious subversion where they like they all sleep in the cabin Uh, before they sleep they explore it and they find that it's creepy as hell instead of choosing to abandon it they stay and then when they all wake up each of them is having a different type of nightmare Mm -hmm. uh like one gentleman finds himself he's like pissed himself Uh, one is in the corner like half awake screaming his wife's name one is in the uh on the second story naked before an idol of the what we learned to be the the monster and the main character is outside and he is chosen and that's and it's like broad daylight this isn't like during the night i thought it was a really nice subversion but but yeah i guess like none of the characters are really given anything to i think to to like bemoan i guess
1: I think what it needed was either it needed to kill off these tertiary characters much sooner or it needed an additional 30 odd minutes instead of that <laughs> epilogue at the end, but just an additional 30 minutes to sort of explore and develop these tertiary characters into secondary characters so that we would sort of feel something a little bit more when we realize he's the one who's chosen and when we understand why that is. Mm hmm. You know what I mean?
2: I wonder if the one thing we could say about, like, because I think about the, he gives, he's given this choice in a way of bowing to the monster or being sacrificed. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense in which the monster grants the, uh, the cult something. And it seems to be immortality, but it kind of really fucked up immortality. And if you, some, yeah, if you just... Paw. Smash, I don't think the movie does this, but if you just in your mind smash together the fact that he's under this trauma and it's his cowardice that's the problem. And if we consider mapping one to one, the cowardice is equivalent to the immortality and the bowing to the monster versus fighting the monster. Or, but you know, can he fight the monster or is it just you just have to sacrifice yourself? Right. I think that's where things get a little bit. I don't know how the metaphor exactly lines up, but yeah, I just I feel like there's pieces everywhere in the movie of like some more interesting thing of exactly what you two have been talking about whole time of this missing metaphor, this missing allegory. but yeah, it's just not pulled through in the movie. Yeah. But I think because the pieces are there, you can really feel it out in the atmosphere and feel like they were moving towards something.
0: And I think I think if they were to pad out the length of the movie, they run the risk of doing a worse job uh, in my opinion. Because I think the pace of the movie, I think the, yeah. the runtime of it is one of its strengths. Is that... I
1: don't disagree with you. I just think that like 30-minute epilogue is unnecessary once we get past the silhouette of the monster in front of the cabin. And you could cut that time there and pad it into the beginning to develop your characters more. And I think mm. it would have been a more impactful mm-hmm. film in, if you had done that.
0: Yeah, I think, I think it would take a, a skilled hand. And I think For the director sure. like, did a great job with the material. But yeah, given what we have of like of what we've been given of the movie, I still think they did a really good job of yeah. getting I mean, I definitely, much of that across.
1: I definitely agree. I think it was really fresh feeling, especially when it came out in 2018. As much as I'm saying like that family drama moment right at the beginning is feeling like something that's been sort of repeated a lot lately. When the ritual did it, it it really stuck out in my mind more you know like I feel Mm -hmm. like in 2018 we were just getting into this weird mix of sort of personal and family drama meets supernatural horror elements so it was it was still feeling very new and it worked really effectively for me and I agree the pacing is great the set design and the set itself is absolutely stunning
0: Oh, that's worth going into. It really is.
1: The way, and and you you had said this so beautifully when we were watching the movie, the sort of depth of isolation and like sort of pressure you feel in this space that really is enormous. It's a huge forest, and yet it feels so sort of like suffocating.
0: Oh, it's claustrophobic, yeah. They managed to use these like really good, like tight shots of like, dense layers of forest. Uh, not necessarily, like, foliage, just tree trunks themselves. Uh, and they never feel lavish. They never feel like they're, they're like, just panning for the sake of it so you can see the woods. Every shot feels purposeful for setting, um, uh, for, for actually developing the setting. The setting itself is almost a character, uh, if you want to look at it yeah. that way, where every space they walk through, you're not seeing, like, them circling the same set a couple dozen times. Like, there's unique... Uh, set pieces, and each of them is uh, fully realized. Each of them is texturally interesting, and all of them are, again, uh, like Lydia said, tight, claustrophobic. Despite the fact that they are dense, outdoors, I and think. oftentimes, that was, that was the word dense, you yes. used
1: that I really like, dense.
0: And all often well lit. It's not. Yeah. It's not all nighttime. It's not all like creepy, like crawly. It's oftentimes during the day, mm-hmm. and it still f- manages to feel like you're not outdoors but trapped.
1: Yeah. And I like yeah. I like what they did with that with the lighting. We had talked about this the lighting and the color grading was so impressive because even though it is daylight, they'll do these occasional impressive sort of like drone shots of above the the canopy of trees so you can see this almost like blinding near winter sun in sort of Mm -hmm. northern Sweden and then you go back to this really harsh cut of them within the woods itself and it is still light out you can tell it is daytime but the way they sort of filter that lighting creates sort of like a, a weight on these characters where you can feel that they're being pressed down upon by the weight of like this massive forest and foliage yeah
0: it, it is it feels like the nordic equivalent of like a rain or like a like a jungle or a rainforest mm-hmm. you can almost it's almost like you can see the humidity there isn't like a nasty film grain effect or anything like yeah. that but there's just, just a the way use of space yeah. yeah they really know how to frame uh nature in a way that i think a lot of movies um end up wasting it i agree Where it becomes mm-hmm. like kind of gratuitous like oh look we found a cool place and mm-hmm. we we're just dr- getting as many drone shots as we can this one there's a lot of like Ground footage peeking through like five, six, eight layers of just dense uh, mossy trees. It's yeah. really interesting. It felt very
1: mm-hmm. intentional.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. The the monster really inhabits the woods in a very uh, true way too. It very much feels like its habitat, and like everything it does is attached to the fact that it lives in these woods in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it has a said that like a Wendigo like. quality. Yeah, it it does. Yeah. It has a Wendigo sort of quality to it, even though. Yeah, I mean, if you look at these sort of like old illustrations of what Wendigos could have looked like, there are many where they contain like sort of antlers. They look kind of somewhere between a deer and a wolf and a man. And that's Mm -hmm. sort of the quality we're having here, which, Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe I don't necessarily love that this potentially could have been lifted from like indigenous um, lore. But it's still stylistically, it is very cool. And it does have... I would say it has sort of Native American qualities. It has Scandinavian qualities. And it does almost have like the eyes in particular and the shape of the face give me sort of an almost Studio Ghibli kind of feeling with those like uh, forest oh, it, um, spirits. Yeah, mm-hmm. it
0: feels like it inhabits that space. And mm-hmm. and like Joseph was saying, right, like it's it blends in to the to the the actual setting in such a way that it feels natural, despite You know, with CG, it's almost always obvious that it's you know something's been superimposed. But there's the scene they introduced the monster Mm -hmm. the first time you actually get a look at it. It it is almost. Almost indiscernibly camouflaged. It's so well done.
1: And it's and it's sort of nauseating when you see that movement because it's yes. <laughs> it's like staring at you know those 3D pictures that you used to see at the mall where you'd stare at it and stare at it, and stare at it until you feel nauseous, and then you mm. maybe see the picture. That's the kind of quality that it gives me. It's so like mm. unreality feeling that you're staring at these trees and you know that you can see something. And you can't place where it is. And then it just makes one of like an almost imperceptible movement and it gives you this wave of nausea.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's very effective. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Yeah, I think the movie in the end has a kind of mythic quality that stays to you. Like you almost believe like this creature could be a real story, a real thing that has lived in our collective unconscious for for generations um, it, yeah, it is, think... as you're saying with the Studio Ghibli thing, right? It, I think you're referring like in Princess Mononoke, there's a similar creature, which is a creature of the good, um, but like a massively antlered elk that's, gi- yeah. that's gigantic and it sort of represents
0: the good of the forest. And it's both like hideous and beautiful at the same time. Or in
2: this, in the Studio Ghibli, it's, uh eh, I guess it's kind of hideous, but there's other creatures that are much more hideous yeah. in it.
0: I remember it being somewhat unsettling to me at least because it's like yes, vaguely Yes, it has like multiple human. eyes or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah,
1: yeah. There's an unsettling quality to like almost all of the little like forest spirits in the Studio Ghibli movies. But I I think there is sort of like a sweetness to most of them that you see in these in these um, Studio Ghibli movies. Whereas in this, it really truly has a a very like twisted sort of monkey's paw kind of feeling Mm -hmm. like i'm gonna give you the gift of immortality but here's all of the like terrible things that come with it here's the weight and the pain and the and the disfigurement that you're gonna get out of it
0: and it feels old like that's that's something that i that i i didn't think they could communicate just visually but it feels ancient in in a really um i don't know i don't know if it's about the weight like its stature like, the way it walks, the way it kind of it inhabits the space, but it feels it feels like it belongs there more than the people standing there, despite being CG. It's yeah. super interesting.
1: I think, I mean, I think part of that is the coloring to it. You know, it has sort of, like, a weathered look to, like, its skin and its coloring. I think also it's, a lot of that can be leaned into the setting itself. Like, there is like mm-hmm. this very—I mean, it's an old forest, of course—but there's a an ancient quality to this space, a haunting, unsettled, like un-sort of colonized space mm. that humans really don't have any business existing in. But simultaneously, at no point do we see a single other animal beyond this monster.
0: Yeah, it's bizarre. Not one. Yeah, it's so really it's, eerie.
1: It's simultaneously true ancient nature, and deeply malevolent because of the lack of sound nature, like noisy nature that we are accustomed to.
0: That actually does lead me to some criticism for, for the movie. I don't have a lot. I know that the, the movie didn't get exactly the the best reviews. I like it a lot uh, despite that. But there's one point in the movie, almost like one, like one sentence, that tries to explain away the monster's background and its history and they say like it's one of the jotun it's one of loki's bastard children and it stops there and with that line snipped out i think the like that line alone if you snip it out the movie is inherently better for it because it because that line works to undo some of like again all the work the visual team like put in to that monster and uh and also the the movie's pace is pretty quick but the way they introduce the monster is 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 not. It's it's very. Yeah. It takes its time. It kind of uh, it kind of relishes the the tense moments where you're not certain if they're being watched or if they're they're alone. But otherwise, I don't have too much criticism for the movie. I think maybe maybe there's too many dudes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like what we were talking, that maybe one or two of them didn't necessarily have much reason to be there.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, as the much as I enjoyed is, Hutch yeah. being in the movie, I do think Hutch was. Very superfluous, and could have not yeah. been in it. um And I know Phil had like absolutely no development, but the weird prayer nightmare was still more interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, if anything, Phil or Hutch could be gone, and then whoever remains could fill that prayer space. Yeah. I think, but 100%. Um, sorry to interrupt yeah. you, Joseph.
2: I, I, yeah, I was just actually. I actually like that line with the Loki thing, but more more because it's enigmatic. Like it sort of leaves you in a like. It's not that the, the, the to me it wasn't the movie was answering what it was per se, but rather why these people believe in it. And so I liked that kind of enigmatic, ambiguous space that it puts you in. Like, like to me, I didn't trust these people to know what the hell they were doing. And so I can, I can see that. And and like it, that we were talking about this too. Like, are they? Are they were they all like some old culture that has been there for a long time or are some of them or most of them people who are in a similar situation as the main character who are taken in yeah. and have kind of found family? And I think that ambiguity also adds an element of strangeness to it.
1: An unreliable narrator kind of vibe.
0: Yeah, it, it does give the monster more credence, right? Because it does. I guess it does kind of ground it and say it is there for for its monster reveal alone. I think it's worth a watch for how well they use the setting i think it's worth a watch Um, but if you're going in there looking for something that's going to break the mold of horror and really like hit you with a left hook i don't think it's all that but i think it i think it does a great job regardless
2: yeah no i i I think it's really solid i i wouldn't say i i'm not sure the the people who don't like it i think maybe if they're looking for like a really corny or like simple to watch horror like it's Hmm. it doesn't have as much jump scares and stuff but i'm like it's pretty Fucking scary, like yeah. I, I, so. I don't, you know, like I don't know. Even if you're just looking for fun, I think it's actually really watchable. Maybe some of the moments, be the trauma moments and the intimacy moments, are a little bit too much for like a pure fun horror. So I guess in that well, sense it's
1: not I think I think a lot of people just aren't really loving this whole like family drama interspersed with horror thing that's become yeah. so popular. Most people do want that sort of like formulaic. Not that there's anything wrong with this, but you know, you're conjurings, you're insidious, where it's really just retreading the ground that was already established by movies like uh, poltergeist and and the exorcist and and are kind of inferior modern models to it. Nothing against yeah. James Wan, um, but really we're they not want a doing it in a closet with a knife. Yeah, or more or, or just like too. ghost haunting the house, or girl is possessed mm-hmm. and we have to do an exorcism, right? Like we've done these multiple times and and realistically. They were done better the first time we saw them on the big screen. And these are really just a throwback and an homage and that's fine, but there's only so many Vera Farmiga, Patrick Wilson, horror movie vehicles that I can watch before it's like, I don't even know which series of films this is. They're all the same.
2: I almost think, yeah, this lands on the side of like uncomfortable horror. And in a way, I think many people turn to horror as like a fun movie night thing. Right. And this, it doesn't, fulfill that to some this people. one makes you
0: do some legwork
2: yeah and so maybe, maybe yeah. that's the reason some people don't like it but if you're yeah. more on that artsy side of horror and you don't even have to be that far into it like if you're 50 there i think this is a really fun fun is the wrong word <laughs> a really uh
0: it'll give you something
2: interesting you yeah um, well and yeah. i don't
1: even think it's entertaining pick i don't think it's not fun either right like it's not it's not a challenging watch you don't have to be super sort of academic or critical about it to enjoy Mm -hmm. it there's a lot here that's unsettling and creepy in a very like almost similar way to like the original Blair Witch Project which I do think has elements that you can be academic about it you can be artistic and and critical about it but it's also something that does have the ability to appeal to a wider audience for a multitude of reasons right because it is uncomfortable and and very creepy and there are some interesting like fun jump scare moments. And I think the ritual kind of toes that line as well, where it's not quite as deeply sort of pretentiously artsy as some of the other horror films, like, like the lighthouse or the witch, but it's still, you know, it's palatable, but it's still doing something.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It respects the audience. And that's something that I, that I appreciate about it.
2: All right. I'll do the uh, wrap up thing here. So thank you for joining us, Des. And
0: I'm very happy to be here. Yeah,
2: so you can find us on Twitter at Fans Lab Pod and on most other social media besides Facebook. You'll just have to look us up because we have different names for each of them. And yeah, we loved having you and we'd love to hear from you about which movies you'd like to, for us to see or just anything you'd want to engage with us on on any social media. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Oh, I forgot to, bye. Oh my God, I forgot my bye. <gasps> it's
1: thing. fine, I got you.
0: Joseph says bye.